0: Couple things I wanted to say before I get into the show. First, if you're a listener of the show, we put out a survey on the Red Nation Hoops Twitter page. Go ahead and fill that out. It's only going to take one or two minutes of your time, 10 questions, all multiple choice. Helps me for the future. Second, so midway through the show, my voice completely cut out of the call, which means it wasn't recording anymore and Jonathan couldn't hear me anymore. So, me as a veteran podcaster, what I did was I already had a backup audio file going on in the background, and I called Jonathan, and we resumed the the call, so the call was still picking up his audio, and the backup audio was still recording me, and he was hearing me through the, his cell phone, and we managed to salvage the podcast. Um, the only thing is the audio doesn't sound as natural. It almost sounds like I'm speaking into the microphone by myself, uh, but that's because the call audio cut out. But it's it, the conversation is still exactly the same. The improvisation took like a minute to figure out. And thankfully, we managed to salvage the podcast. So uh, if you notice that the audio seems a little off, it's because we had to uh, resort to backup audio. Hope you guys enjoy the show. gonna shoes podcast. My name is Saul Monnelly at Saul Monnelly NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by the great Jonathan Vega and the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan, how you doing, man?
1: I am. Well, apparently, I'm great. Well, that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's always fun when we get together and do these podcasts. um I just wish it was a lot warmer outside. It's, it, it, the, the cold weather is really bothering me. I, I gotta it, It's like I just came from outside. I just walked my dog, and I just, it, it, I'll never get fully accustomed to it. I'm a warm-weather guy.
1: You know, I, I don't know if you can see me, but I, I don't think I'll be able to see straight for three days after the way I've been rolling my eyes hearing <laughs> that. Besides that this isn't cold.
0: And it's cold. See, are, are, where are you from? Are you from Houston originally? I grew up in New Jersey. Okay, so I, th- that's why I, I I sensed why you were why you were rolling your eyes.
1: That's not why. I've been here longer than you've been alive. Okay, I've gotten very. I've gotten soft, and I travel. Well, I take it back. I used to say I got soft, but I travel so much, and when I go to these cities where it's unbelievably cold, I still I do my walk. I bundle up and I go. And people do sort of do react like you do. Of course, there it's about five degrees, and here, right now as we speak, it's about fifty. So,
0: well, I, you you travel was- a lot more than me. To be fair, I, I I'm so when I get to a cold weather city, to be honest, I'm not bothered by it because I expect it going in, right? But when I'm in Houston, I expect warm weather all the time, every day. And so when it when it when I get even a hint of cold weather, it just throws my entire system off. Like I just I, I start every conversation about the weather. Now I'm just this boring dude that gets really thrown off by the weather.
1: Yeah, you've turned into the old man in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I texted my brother today about. He lives in New Jersey still, and he got about a foot of snow. And his question to me was, I said, Do "You get much snow?" And he said, "Yeah, about a foot." And he answered back, "Did you?" And That's obviously a joke, but it also brings up the fact that it's unthinkable that we could. We got our own weather issues, though, so I don't want to demean what people have gone through, but uh, I would not call this cold.
0: It is very cool though when it does snow to see all the kids just rush outside because they've never seen it before their entire life and they see snow and they, they don't even know what to do with it they're, they're trying to build snowmen but there's not enough snow to do that they're trying to throw snowball fights but it's too cold to do that like they're realizing snowball fights are much better on TV than they are in real life like it it is cool to see the kids freak out and not you know not have school and all that stuff
1: Well to this day and I've been traveling on the NBA beat for 22 years but You know, I covered colleges before and did travel to some very cold weather cities, especially at the start of the Big 12. And to this day, I still throw a snowball every trip that there's suitable snow. I will still grab one, make one. uh, Like if, uh, you know, wherever I go next, I'm trying to think of where that will be that could have snow. Utah, if, if there's fresh snow, I'm throwing a snowball, at least one, and I'm hitting something with it.
0: Yeah, I attempted to build a snowman actually. Like, the last time it snowed here. I I attempt cuz I really wanted a nice picture for social. Media. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. The like there was just not enough snow and the snow that was there hardened to a point where I couldn't pick it up. So yeah. that's that that's that. It is what it is. Um so let's start with some news. Steven Silas revealed to us yesterday that Kevin Porter Jr. will be out with health and safety protocols. First of all, I'll say this, this really sucks because he looked pretty good since the whole leaving the Toyota center snafu. I guess we're going to call it a snafu. Um, His shooting percentages and assist numbers were both on the rise and he came up with a bit. He came up big a few times late uh, for the Rockets in big games. Uh, The guy just can't catch a break this season. First, it was the nagging thigh brewers. And now this Uh, second of all, I am curious to see how the Rockets go about playmaking during his absence because they do not have uh, a point guard replacement for him on the roster. And I think the natural assumption is, well, this means that Jalen Green is going to be getting more usage now. And while it's true that he's going to have handle the ball more and play more pick and roll, I kind of think the big beneficiaries for this are going to be Josh Christopher and Elper and I think those two are going to play a lot more and be a feature part of their offense Well. Porter Jr. is out. What's your take on this? How does Steven Silas approach this?
1: Well, I think, you know, for the most part, he will do what he did during that long stretch in December when Kevin Porter Jr. was out. And Eric Gordon runs more of the offense. And and uh, Garrison Matthews starts, and he gives them spacing. And, and maybe even, as we saw against the Trailblazers, he looks to attack closeouts more, which... He said he was doing because he's reading defenses better, but also in that lineup he's out top more as opposed to in the corners. You could still attack close out, but it's harder to play make off that that drive from the corner than it is on top, which is where he was effective doing that. I think you'll see more of that. To your point, I don't know that it'll be a lot more minutes for Christopher and Shangun, but I think they work through, especially Shangun, with that second unit more. Because now Eric Gordon is not the second team point guard. He's doing it more for the first team. And so while playing with DJ Augustine, who hadn't played in the previous four games and played in only three of the previous 10, Augustine will get them, get the ball up the court, get them in the offense, then get off the ball. So I think you will run more stuff through Shangun with that second unit than when Augustine's not playing at all. So I I do agree with you on that part. And then the other thing, we're seeing more minutes for Christopher all the time. And what we saw against the Trailblazers, Armani Brooks did not play at all in the second half. And I, I don't know that that will happen. It'll kind of depend on how things are going. In other words, I think he still gets a look in the first half. But you might see more and more of that, where Christopher takes a more predominant role with that second group.
0: Can we talk about Josh Christopher for a second? Because I'm just dumbfounded at, at like how so many people, including myself, missed on this dude during the draft. Like, This was a guy that was a second-round pick by the consensus. There were obviously others that had were higher on him, including the Rockets, but most of the big boards out there had him going in the second round. And you watch him, and there are games like last night where he just completely takes over for a stretch, brings the Rockets back into a game they had no business being in, and looks like a lottery talent for that stretch. Like how did so many people miss on this guy, Jonathan?
1: Well, I don't know that they missed so much in that a lot of people who even those who had him early second round did acknowledge that from about 22 to 34 is pretty much interchangeable, maybe 24 to 34. And so that was said a lot. That that became almost cliché to say. And you know, when I was doing my mock drafts I would make one change and all of a sudden the guy would drop eight spots. And, you know, there was just that sort of draft at that level. And he was part of that. And, you know, some of the guys who were taken late first look absolutely deserving of that and more. You know, it's going to go down as a very good draft. Yeah, Not just because the top, which we knew, but the depth has panned out to be very strong. And I think it's going to keep getting better.
0: Yeah. And some of the depth that we thought was going to be depth, like for Usman Gruba, for example, like, like they, like those guys haven't exactly popped off yet. And when they, when those guys do hit their stride, it's going to make the draft even look, look even a little, a lot better. Um, let's talk about Shingun for a bit because I did oh, mention,
1: I, you know, I'm shocked <laughs> the weather before you got to uh, your, you know, Uncle Alby or cousin Alby.
0: So, I did mention I did that and you did too that he's going to be a big beneficiary of uh this extra usage, I guess. And the Rockets are kind of stuck in between a hard rock and a hard place with this dude because it's very clear that he's too talented to play 15 minutes a game. And at the same time, Christian Wood is too talented to be playing less than 30 minutes a game. And they're both also clearly best used at center. And I think the Rockets realize that because they basically abandoned all lineups with Wood and Shengoon playing together since Shengoon ret- returned from this injury. And you, you and I go back and forth on this topic all the time uh, when we're at the Toyota Center. Like I'm just kind of confused because they're bo- they're obviously high on him. They gave up two first round picks for Shengoon. Everybody on the team had glowing reviews for him all year, dating back to training camp in Galveston, and yet they don't. Want to trade Christian Wood at the deadline, nor do they want to explore the lineups with Wood and Shangun more. Like, they they talk about wanting to explore, but they don't actually do it that often. Like, the minutes, like, ever since they talked about a big game about playing those two together more, they really haven't, that really hasn't upticked that much. Only when there's like injuries or they want to, they're playing a big team where they have to match up big, then then those dudes end up playing together. But really, those two, things can't be true at once. So, like, what's the issue? Like, do they just believe the guy's not ready for this? Is it the fouling? Is it the defense? Like, what is it specifically that's preventing him, uh, that, that's preventing Houston from making a decision, whether that's playing him more with, with Wood or trading Wood?
1: Well, there's several things at work. I mean, you start with the thing that is most obvious and, you know, true from the beginning. He's 19. He is a young, young you know, he people forget how young he is as a ball player because in some ways he's so polished and you know he he seems so like a veteran in some ways in the way he reads things offensively and the moves and everything else physically he is a big young kid he's got a long way to go physically and That'll come, and he'll get straight. He looked at him. Now, granted, Nurkic is an extremely large man. He can make many people look small. He bullied him. Oh, he looked like a little kid next to him. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Shangun. There was a time Nurkic was 19. In fact, if memory serves, I was 19 once, right in between 18 and 20. It happens to everyone. He's got a long way to go physically. And it shows sometimes... If it didn't, I do believe, and I you, you you and I have talked about this and we agree, I think you could then play them together. Because Christian Wood's strength defensively, relative strength, is out on you know, moving his feet, being quick. It's not on the nurkices and Valanchunas of the world. And so if and a better way to might maybe to put it, when Alpi gets to be to fill up to fill up his body, when he gets to develop and catch up to where he is, because he's well ahead of where he was two years ago, where he was what you might call doughy a few years ago. When he catches up and builds the strength that I think he will have, or if he had that now, then I wonder if you could play them together defensively. Plus, he has to learn a lot about pick and roll coverages and help and, you know, when to step up and how far up and then how to get back. All that stuff is as new to him as what everybody sees about Jalen Green, who he just has so much to learn, even when he tries hard, such as last night. And he still struggled sometimes. He just they both have so far to go, but they'll get there. They're they're so earnest in their work habits and, and determination to learn and so coachable but it all goes back to what they knew when they took them. This is a long project. And the Rockets viewed themselves in a bigger picture as, hey, we got the next two years to work on developing. It's not just this year. They have next year too. That trying to it's the year after that you want to start making a move towards the play-in or for the playoffs and be in that group at least contending. The year that you don't have your own first round pick. So they're not in a rush. They just want to teach, teach, teach. And uh, here's the other thing. And so I'm going on and on because there's so many things tied into just that one question. People say, oh, yeah, but it's all about development anyway. So just play them together or play somebody else 32 minutes or play Christopher. It's it's not all about developing. That's the top priority. They still want to win. They don't win much because the top priority is something else. But once that's the top priority, now it becomes try to win. So if you're on a road trip and you have a chance to win games, you go with a lineup that you think can win games because you know that's okay. We're set up to keep playing these guys no matter what. They're going to keep playing. And if they stink one game, doesn't matter. They're going to play the next. That goes to the priority of development. The way they balance the lineup and, and do the rotation, that's still trying to do the best they can to
0: win. So that's all great. I guess my question to you is when you talk to these front office guys, do you get the sense that the Rockets believe internally that Wood and Shangoon will be part of the next great Rockets team?
1: Oh, I don't know that. And uh, I don't think they do either. I don't, I don't, get a, I, I know that, well, first of all, just taking a slight step back the Rockets believe and other people on the league I've talked to believe Shangun is better this year than they expected him to be this year yeah. they, they, he's they thought more of a project pick even people that thought it was a great pick thought project and so he's better right away than they than the Rockets expected and then was expected elsewhere even among some people that thought it was a really good pick and a good move to invest as they did to get him.
0: What's interesting, and I don't want to cut you off, is like hey, I actually oh. I actually, I actually expected Shang-Gun to be the project pick and Garuba to be the ready made pick. And I thought Shangoon was gonna be the guy in the G League. And that's completely flipped. Shang-Goon is the ready made guy and Garuba is the guy that looks more like a project.
1: Yeah, I mean that's partly because Alpi is so advanced offensively in terms of his moves and his feel for it and his vision. Uh, his vision is really tremendous. I mean, look who I'm telling, but you know, it's great. And that's easier to see defensively. I mean, remember the rep into the draft is, but what's he going to do defensively? How is anybody going to play him? Which would speak to what you were saying while Garuba was thought to be the way he moves his feet, he can play defensively. But the thing about Garuba that was maybe forgotten a little bit It was viewed as a big plus that, wow, he's playing in one of the world's best leagues at 18 years old. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me he's not playing a ton because he's in one of the world's best league and he's only 18. So he wasn't playing a great deal of minutes and he didn't have a real big role. He just had really nice tools to work with. But, you know, it's just as we've said about Jalen Green a lot, the guy's a veteran of 15 G League games. Well, Garuba didn't play a ton because he was in such an advanced league at such a young age, but you can look at some of the parts to work with. And then the other thing that happened with him, Shangun was better than anyone expected right away. And so it's hard to play them both, especially when they started the year trying to make it work with Tice. And when Wood is their best front court play- well, maybe not their best front court player, but he's a very valuable front court player. So, and then the other thing that's happened, Tate's just better as a four than as a three. There's so many things he can do as a four that has helped them. So now it's even harder to keep playing all these guys. You see, I always thought, and I brought this up at the press conference, the day after the draft, you draft four teenagers at once. How are you going to get them all minutes to develop? And Rafael's answer was, well, well, this way they can all develop at once to where once a guy's really starting to hit his stride in his third or fourth year, we don't have people we're counting on who are just in their first or second year as much. Yeah, but they're not all playing. They can't all play only five guys in a court on the court at once. You've got then four, now five teenagers. So, you know, I think that's what we're seeing. And then the other thing that's happened that nobody could predict is Garuba's injuries and and things. He's missed so much time. And and right when he was going to play that night in Philadelphia, he ends up in health and safety protocols. He was going to play that night uh, in Philadelphia when Christian Wood was suspended and then he goes out. So he hasn't played and he hasn't had a chance to develop as maybe they would have liked at the G League level. But still, it's hard to play that many young people at once and, you know, we'll get into this, but that also informs decision-making at the trade deadline.
0: So I'm going to pull a Mark Berman here. I'm not sure if you answered that original question. Like, so do you think these guys, Wood and Shangun? like, does that front office believe they can play together?
1: You know, I don't think they have a, a firm opinion on that yet because defensively, you just don't know. I mean, I haven't asked this part, but... So we'll just go to back to my opinion. There's no reason Christian Wood can't play with the center and be effective. I mean, many guys who face the basket and drive to be their best, I mean, you have to put the center in the dunk position and do some different things. And maybe some of that takes away from Alpi's passing. But Christian Wood can be better moving without the ball if he was playing with a guy like that. And he should be able to be more effective playing with another very tall guy. And, so, and, it, and you know, it's not like Jay Sean Tate is just filling it up on threes. And Shangun is, I, I th- now here's something they do believe. They do believe he will be a good three-point shooter, a reliable space the floor three-point shooter. And it's a good looking shot. There really is that potential. And when that happens, why can't they play together? The question becomes defensively, they both need to get better. They, you know, in some ways they both need to get a lot better, but Alpi needs to get a lot better a lot better, to, to effectively play. I mean, remember, the Rockets can score for most of the time when they're healthy. Defensively, they're horrible. Well, the answer to all those questions are, do they get better defensively? And, you know, I don't know. How long will it take for him to be good defensively?
0: It'll be interesting to see if Wood can play next to, like, a really, like, strong, like, shot-blocking center. And, like, I know, I know they... They thought about Tice as that really strong defensive player to put next to him, and that didn't work out. But like, you know, you you're hearing these rumors about the Heat being interested in Christian Wood, and the idea of Wood next to Bam Adebayo would be interesting. It, it. It's kind of like John Collins playing next to, Christian right? You know, they're different players, but like that kind of prototype. Like, I'd, I'd be interested to see how he would look against that kind of, next to that kind of a center.
1: Yeah, I, me too. I, I, you see, I don't think all right for whatever reason it didn't for a variety of reasons. Pan out with Tice, I still think it maybe could have, but you're better with Tate as the four. And so, I mean, that's another reason. It's not just all bad. It's also something that was good. And so that didn't happen, but they wanted to be able to change the lineup up. Sometimes you need Tice to match up with Alan Tunis. You need Tice to match up with Steven Adams. I, I think that still has to be, as you do, is something that is in your bag. If not with Tyson, if not this year, as long as you have Christian Wood, at some point you need to have the option of, I need a big, big guy against their big, big guy. I mean, you don't want to turn Nurkic into Embiid, which, okay, it's a little exaggeration, but you know they don't match up real well with really, really big guys.
0: For what it's worth, I believe in Shangun's jump shot too. Like I, I, I've, I think that's, I think that's real. I think you'll get, to, I think you'll get to a point where he's hitting like thirty four percent from three. One day, uh, he's just really hesitant to shoot them. Like there, are, there are moments every game where he's open to take them. The defense is daring him to take him, and he doesn't take it. He instead goes for a dribble handoff instead, or passes into the paint. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, is something he has to get more comfortable at, and the coaching staff is diligently working on him. Like John Lucas is drilling this into his head every day about shooting three pointers. Um, so that 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 part of his game is certainly going to be interesting. Let's talk about Jalen Green's shooting struggles because he shot twenty nine percent from three this season and twenty four point three percent in the month of January. And I'm not going to say I'm concerned about this for Green, but I'm. It's getting weird. Like the the fact that. He was a capable shooter, especially off the pounce. Like that was one of the big his big selling points coming out of the draft. Like he attempts a ton of threes per game. He moves a lot off the ball to get these catch and shoots. And John Lucas is working with him on this on his form. Um, Are you at all concerned about this? I'm not there, but I it is. It's just weird because at some point you'd like to see him get to the green before the end of the season.
1: Well, here's the thing with Jalen Green and his shot the thing that's weird looking about it doesn't look like something that you can't repeat. It's not like a weird hitch or something like that where, or or a twisting motion or, or flying out of control with your legs, which you can't repeat. And so therefore you go into slumps. It's not that if, if anything for such an athletic guy, his legs, he gets his legs under him. He sort of pigeon toes his right foot a little bit, which keeps him from flying out of control on his jump shot. It looks like a shot you can repeat. So why is he struggling so much? Well, you know, it might be in his head. He, he could, you know, if that's the case, he'll work his way out of it. And that, if people are worried, the thing that would make you feel better is, okay, he's tremendously athletic and he's tremendously diligent. You know, a hardworking, really good athlete, should be able to figure it out, should be able to get it, especially because his shot is solid. It looks like it's not for two things that his left hand is just weird, you know, where he places the ball hand on the ball. But what difference does it really make? And I will say, for whatever this is worth, which might not be much, my father-in-law, who was an athlete in the 50s, he thought that's where that's where he was taught you supposed to put your hand. He always thought that's how people shot then. Now, granted, they weren't six foot six jumping out of the gym, shooting threes. But why shouldn't it go there? I mean, what, why is that going to make it effective or ineffective? It just looks bad. And then the release point looks really bad, especially to old school types. And it looks bad to me. And it's like, damn, He shoots it like he's a kid struggling to get it up there. A lot of guys do now, and it's like a thing. John Morant, Cade Cunningham, there's others, and they shoot from the chest. And I will say, a lot of shooters will say the most important thing is you never lose sight with the ball. That you don't bring it back to your top of your head or something, or so far back that you don't see the ball. Well, I guess if you're shooting from your chest, it's always within your vision. It looks weird but it doesn't look like something you can't repeat. And that's where the bad shooting slumps come from. So, you know, we'll see if this is maybe in his head, he missed some time, he got in a bad way, and now he's having trouble getting out of it. But it's not about he can't shoot, it's he has to learn how to get out of a shooting slump. Everybody gets in him. Guys, some guys know how to get out of them. You learn how to get, I did a story about this. One of my first years on the beat, Um, what do you do you know different guys I remember Bullard was one of the guys I I interviewed for it when he was playing that well oh yeah with me it's always how I point my elbow you know if I'm in a slump I think elbow elbow another guy said you know I look I think about where I'm looking on the rim I don't think Jalen has that to where he knows oh man I'm in one of these funks again what do I do about it and I think he feels some pressure to be Jalen Green I think there's some of that entering, if not through the shooting, just in general. You know, he knows who he is, and that's a good thing. He has a tremendous sense of responsibility to live up, not just to the pick, but to the reputation and and the aura about him. But I think that's a lot of pressure while you're struggling.
0: His shot almost varies by attempt. Like, he shoots differently off the bounce than he does off the catch. Like, his shot off the bounce is much More natural looking to me, at least, than it is when he comes off a screen. It's a, when he comes off a screen, like, it's almost two motions. And that's, that's corrected itself a little bit since he's come back, uh, from injury. Like, Lucas worked with them on making it a lot quicker. And he's talked about, and the, the Rockets' coaching staff has really talked about it. it's pretty obvious when you watch him. The game speed is really bothering with him. Like it, it's it's way faster than he would, thought it would be. It, it's thrown him off course in every element of his game, including the shooting. Like that's yeah. it's, it's something that he, he's just like the game processing stuff is something that might take a lot of time for him. Because like,
1: yeah, I think he has some habits as all players do, and he has to get out of. Uh, I think. He, he, he actually uh, – he Lucas didn't try and speed up his shot. He tried to make it a little more efficient to where it is quicker, but not because you're going faster. And I think he tends to rush through the, the start of the shot a little bit, which is falling back into old habits. And on drives, it's I don't know if it's the game is too fast for him, although that's part of it too. I think he's too fast, to not because his athleticism, but trying to do everything at 100 miles an hour – you beat your guy. Okay. You don't have to go a 1000 miles an hour. His habit that he was getting out of, he he would drive into the crowd, gather and go up over, off two feet and try and go over where he was most effective on drives is when he would just keep on going through, jump off the one leg, like a drive, like a layup and try and finish that way, get an angle on a guy. And then the other thing that I think will happen, and, and you referred to it earlier, He needs to get stronger, obviously. He needs to finish through contact better. But I think some of that will not just be from being stronger. It'll be from feeling stronger, you know, to feel the benefits of the physical training that he will go through. Like we talked about with Alpi, you know, like almost a guy who lifts weights, he goes to the gym, lifts weights, and now he goes out looking for a fight like he's a badass. Well, okay, we don't want Jalen Green probably won't be doing that but to where he's more confident with his physicality as he drives and tries to do things through contact. I I think all these things are going to come. You know, he's just, you know, it's like CJ McCollum was talking last night about the things he and Josh Christopher have to learn. And you think about it, McCollum was a very polished player and always was. He arrived in the NBA as a four year college veteran as a guard uh, Damian Lillard did. You know, Steph Curry, who worked in the beginning with Stephen Silas and who learned a lot. They they worked together like crazy. And Curry believes in Silas. You know, we should all have someone believe in us the way Curry believes in Silas. He was a four-year college player, and he still was too too thin. He wasn't – Curry has gotten to be a strong basketball player. He finishes through contact. He bodies up against people so well. You think about what he was when he first started. And that was as a four year son of an NBA player. And so uh, Jalen Green is going to need time and he's going to need all next year too. But there'll be flat. All you want really is flashes. You just want to see, okay, it's there. Now they got to get it out of him. But you just need to keep seeing the times to say, yeah. It's there. Nobody needs him to be, this team doesn't need, maybe a different team would. This team doesn't need him to be better than Scotty Barnes right now or whoever. I know if you're a fan and like you're into the draft and you want hope, well, you're not getting a lot of enjoyment from the games. You're not getting wins. You want to see that we got him as opposed to, ooh, we could have had him. Well, it's going to take a while, uh, but that was always part of it.
0: And again, if you compare him to other shooting guard prospects, like his not similar shooting guard prospects, rather, his numbers aren't that far off from those guys. Like you're talking your Zach Levine's, your Devin Booker's, your Anthony Edwards, like 30 to 40 games in their career. And when you compare the, their numbers, they're not that far off.
1: Yeah, you haven't gotten to the big one. Is Kobe Bryant as a eight, now he was an 18 year old rookie, but as a rookie, and you'd say, well, he was 18. Yeah, but he was Kobe. You know, and I'm not saying Jalen Green is going to be Kobe, but I'm saying even Kobe that first year, it was rough, you know. But he, you, know, you could see the flashes too that I was talking about. You could see, wow, he's got something, he's special. And that's all I think people should want to see in Jalen Green. Don't you don't want him to be a finished product yet? You just want him to show that he's got it. And that he 's willing to keep working he 's not just about i 'm in the nba i 'm making the money, I can live the life i can no he 's still hungry, and that 's what you want that he 's got something there, and that he 's hungry to to pan out to what the rockets need him to be
0: yeah, and I talked about this a couple podcasts ago with uh, Raheel Ramzan Ali like that first step is legit, like he blows past defenders all the time. It just seems when he gets past that first defender, he just doesn't know what the hell to do. Whether that's, uh, make a pass, whether that's, you know, drive into the contact. And when he does try driving in, as you said, he, you know, the jumping off the foot point is, is salient. He's also contorting his, his body. Like when, when he's in the air, when he should just be going straight up into it, right? And it's like he's trying to dodge players and he's not used to driving into NBA centers. In the G League, like those centers are small. Like G League centers are much smaller than you would expect, Cause it's in e- that's even compared to college centers. Like there's a drastic difference between the types of players that play center in the G League. It's more like a wing that downsizes to center in the G League, whereas in in college, it's like you you know all the all the best centers are you know six foot ten or t- or high or taller. It's 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 one of those things where he needs to get used to that.
1: You yeah, remember Steve Francis did. And he had two junior college seasons and one college season. So he was an older guy. And in the beginning, he was again 100 miles an hour where you beat your guy. You know, that's what you want to do. Now you need to figure out how to finish, how to get there. And, you know, it's just going to take time and experience and failure. You need to fail. You know, like even the Kevin Porter Jr. thing, I think when you brought him up in the beginning and how well he's played since the incident and the suspension and how much more poised he's looked. It could work out that the incident was a good thing because things are going to happen. They knew this with him, right? He's got to, and he knows this he's got to grow. Well, it's not about can you avoid an incident forever? It's how will you respond? And he's responded very well. Well, with Jalen Green, he's going to struggle. It's how will he respond? How will he grow from the struggles? Because you can't avoid the struggles. It's going to happen. And I think we're seeing that. I think the work ethic that we're seeing, um, I think it almost bodes well. It makes them feel good that, okay, we needed to see this. It's hard to go through, but you want to see it so you can see the response and they like the response. As they did with kevin porter jr for a very different reason obviously but they liked what they saw in the weeks that followed
0: right and it's it's also pretty clear that once he gets it going in the middle of a game his confidence completely shifts right like Mm -hmm. that that's what i'm talking about like the overthinking stops when he starts hitting shots and like when when he's in a rhythm he's a really really fun basketball player to watch it's just right now the the processing stuff the you know the jump shot and all that stuff like that stuff and the body obviously the body is a big component of all this like he needs to build that out that's going to take some time and i think experience will eventually smooth a lot of this out we'll see how much it smooths it out like like to what extent he gets to but it's going to smooth it out
1: yeah i agree like i said so a lot of it i think it's more a mental thing to where I think as he gets stronger and more experienced, he'll be more, he, he won't put as much pressure on himself and he'll feel more confident to be physical. I'm not saying he's going to be Charles Oakley, but just to take a bump and finish. He'll, I think that's all about attitude too and confidence and phys, You know, it's an emotional
0: thing. Right. And, and he's a good kid. Like he's, he's a real, I think, I think that's important, but like he's, he's a, as you said he's a willing worker, but he's also a willing worker in games. The guy moves a lot for a shooting guard. Uh And he does that so he can get catch and shoot jumpers. Obviously, I think that's a skill that's really hard to teach. That's a good starting point. Also, he's a young rookie. He's like seven months younger than Evan Mobley. And I think some people forget that, like people look at you know all these 19 year olds entering the draft, well yeah, some of them turn, turn 19 right before the draft. you know some of them turn uh, 19, eight months ago or whatever, right like they're, they're not all the same, and I think you know'll we'll see, we'll see we'll see how that how he develops in the coming years. um trade deadline. So it seems from your reporting, along with Kelly Eco of The Athletic, that the Rockets at the time of your article want to approach the trade deadline conservatively and aren't in a rush to trade Eric Gordon or any other major piece on the roster. Now, now first, let me ask this. Did I describe that right and have things changed since you wrote that article? You know,
1: they haven't changed, but I'm not sure I would describe it exactly like that as much as they don't. The pool of what would be a good deal for them is very different and somewhat smaller than a year ago. They don't need, they have two first round picks in the next draft. They had four last year. They had two rookies that are in the rotation from the year before. How many you know kids can they play at once if they trade for a late first round pick? So now you've got two late first round picks and an early pick. you got three more coming in. They already can't play everybody they've got. So now you start thinking down the road picks. Well, so you've shortened the pool a little bit there. They similarly aren't as interested in the guy who's still in his rookie contract, but is a washout where he was. Let's take, uh, you know, the Terrence Williams try. They're not looking for that as much as maybe a year ago they would have. And in a way that's what Kevin Porter Jr. was, except that, he was so talented. They were, (laughs) they probably still do that, but they're not looking for that as much. So you shrink the pool a little more. And then the other factor that I've kind of cited a little bit is Raphael stone. He will be, he can be stubborn with what he believes. So in other words, he'll put a value on a guy like Eric Gordon. This is a fair trade. He doesn't have to take something he thinks isn't fair value. It's not an expiring contract to where I got to get what I can before he's gone. We're not winning anything now anyway. Might as well get something. instead. He's not comparing offers. He's comparing offers to whatever he forecasts he could get in the offseason at, tra- at the draft time. Going, I wouldn't say going into next season because that doesn't happen much. But in the other trade windows that Eric is still under contract. And so if he thinks, well, they're just trying to pick up some bargain here from me, I don't want to help someone steal them from me. So he can be patient. Same with Christian Wood. It doesn't, it's not a have to make the trade or just lose them for nothing trade. So once you start shrinking the pool, shrinking the pool, shrinking it, you're not as aggressive because you've already made it harder on yourself. So, I think that's their mindset going in as much. There's not as much that is a good trade as would have been a year ago or would be next year.
0: Yeah, I guess the two natural follow up questions to that are A, do you believe there's actually a scenario where the Rockets are offered a first round pick for Eric Gordon and they turn that down? And B, if that's really the case, like. That's
1: a great question. Yeah. (laughs) That's really, you know, I kind of wish I asked myself that one sooner.
0: Right, and, and, and B, if that's really the case, like is does the logic that you just brought up, like it, does that line up? Because I read your piece and I read Kelly's, and I just came away unconvinced that it wouldn't be a significant blunder for Houston not to move Gordon at the deadline if if first round pick is indeed on the table.
1: Well, yeah, you threw in that little caveat there at the end, right? Because you right. say it's not a mistake not to, yeah, you know, get ripped off isn't good either, but you know, for what. Okay, what if it's the same as last year, say, 24th pick? Yeah, I mean, that would be pretty hard to turn down. You know, a guy like that, if you take a long-range plan investment, and it's – I don't know, that would be interesting. Could they turn that down? But what they really want more, but that's not what you asked, is, okay, you willing to offer us a pick in 22? How about you offer us the pick in 24? when we don't have a first round pick. If that's how the conversation goes with the same team, say no. And then all you're doing is arguing about protection. You know, the Rockets will wait as long as they need to, to get as little protection as possible on a pick. But really in your scenario, if someone says, we'll give you our pick this year. And obviously a team that wants Eric Gordon is probably pretty darn good. So it's a late first round pick. Really is if they if they turn around and say, Okay, but let's just make it twenty four, they're gonna say no.
0: If they do indeed say no, and like we learn about it after the fact that they were offered that, I think they do deserve the criticism that comes at, at them. Because like I am not convinced that they'll be able to get a first this summer, if they wait till this summer. Because I think part of the value in having Eric Gordon is having him for the for the playoffs. Is, well, is-
1: absolutely, but you could have him for the next and you could build and you you can sort of okay, because don't forget you gotta send eighteen million dollars back. Well, in the mm-hmm. offseason you're not so if it's two players, three players to do it, now you gotta fill your roster in a little bit, but in the summer you're not as worried about doing that. You feel, yeah, I can find three guys to to fill out the roster. And so in some ways it's easier in the offseason. You know, it's like the if the Lakers are to try and trade Russell Westbrook, would anybody offer as much as the Lakers gave up? Well, no. But the Lakers knew it's, it's offseason. We'll fill a roster. We'll, we're the Lakers. We can do that. You can't do that in, in February. So there's a bigger pool of teams that can make that kind of trade in the summer, even if you are losing the advantage of this year's playoffs.
0: So I hear you, but at the end of the day, I still look at it as you're getting two playoffs of Eric Gordon versus one, and there's the threat that he might leave the following summer. And if I were a team trying trying to trade for Eric Gordon in the summer, I would just lowball the Rockets and offer two second-round picks. And that's why there's an urgency to trade them now where you can get a first-rounder versus actually waiting for that summer to come around and those lowball offers to come in.
1: Yeah, and I would agree with that. But you and I are doing what's theoretical, and they have to make the trade off of what they actually get offered. It's like if you want to sell your car and you put a price on it, that's what it's worth. No, what's worth is what you can get. And so, you know, that's what they have to see is what can they get? Although I do agree. And part of it is, I, I, to me, he's like a perfect trade deadline guy, because he can fit with any variety of really good teams. He can have the ball in his hands, he could be off the ball, he can defend points, he could defend twos, threes, he, he can play off the bench, he can start. You would think he would be the perfect trade deadline acquisition, but that depends. We'll see. That's what you and I would do if anyone's ever smart enough to make us general managers.
0: Yeah, that would be something, huh? If they made our dumb general managers. Um, (laughs) No, but I want to circle back to Christian Wood, and I know we already touched on it, but are they listening to offers? And if they are listening to offers, how serious are they about entertaining those offers?
1: Well, it's kind of the same thing, but for different reasons. Uh, the reason it's kind of the same, and what I meant by that is they don't have to do it this year. He's under contract again, but they also feel less pressure with him in that if things go well next year uh, and they, they feel like, yeah, let's sign him again, he, they feel like he can be still at the other end of his prime when their current young guys reach the beginning of their primes. So his timetable can fit with the current guys better than Eric's, obviously, but actually fit well uh, because he's a young 26. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. And so, you know, he doesn't have a big injury history or any of the things that would make you think, yeah, you know, it's just not going to line up. So they don't have to do it. But of course, they're listening. They're, They're a team at the bottom of the standings. You better listen to just about anything. And so I'm sure they will. I think, again, first of all, he doesn't fit with as many contenders as Eric does. You know, there's things he doesn't do well that some teams need him to do and some teams don't, while Eric can fit with anybody. But I think he's also more likely to be one that people try to steal. You know, that, okay, let's pick up a bargain. And so, uh, I don't know. To me... Of the two, I would think Eric is more likely to be dealt.
0: Yeah, I think if I had a gun to my head right now, I'd probably say that Christian Wood will be on the roster past February 10th and Eric Gordon will not be. Just because I think it makes all the sense in the world to move Eric Gordon, I would be still shocked, even though the reporting seems to indicate uh, that it's very possible that they don't do deal Gordon. I'd still be shocked because of all the logic. I think they might be posturing And as far as Christian Wood, they seem to believe in his timeline and his talent more than I do. Um, Let's talk about some of these other guys. David Nwaba and uh, Daniel Tice. Uh, They're both on long-term contracts. Tice is obviously on a longer-term deal. I think it would be a mistake to deal both those guys because both of them are at the lowest points in their value. And I think Houston could get more if they simply waited to thin out the roster a little bit more, get those guys more playing time, and then deal them while they have value, not right now
1: well, you know first of all the the, the value it's not about how a guy's playing as much as your leverage to where teams would view the rockets on those guys as well, you can't ask for much, you're not even playing them you know you You can just give them away and it won't even make a difference to you as opposed to what they think of them. What another team thinks of Tice or Nawaba isn't dependent on what they've done this year or will do in the remaining games before the deadline. It is what it is. These general managers feel however they have felt and it doesn't change much, you know, or the whole idea when I love when people say showcasing a guy. nobody's opinion is changing based on checking somebody out in a showcase situation other than if he had an injury and you see that he's healthy again, that kind of thing. But so in terms of their value being low, that might, that can be true because no one's viewing them as important to the Rockets development, not because anybody's opinion about them is changing one way or another or has changed that said, you can't get a whole lot for them because, you know, it's just, I now maybe and Tice can help teams, you know, but they're still going to view the Rockets as, look, first of all, I don't know that he helped so much that they're going to give up a real short contract for his longer one. So for the Rockets, and it would have to be worth their while to have somebody with, let's say, three years left, or maybe just two after this. They have to be somebody they really want. They're not just moving him because, oh, it didn't pan out. And one thing to sort of put in your pocket, if there is a chance that Christian Wood gets dealt either now or, you know, next summer, or even at the deadline next year, does Tice then suddenly start playing more? Does he, I mean, I guess it's not sudden if we're talking about some other time, but maybe he becomes more useful to the rockets than he currently is when he doesn't play at all. I mean, they're not down on him because he's been such a pro and so on. So, you know, in, in other words, you don't take back some crappy contract because you view him as a crappy cra- contract. They don't view it that way. They'd have to be a guy, get a guy they want to have around for a while. Cause again, I don't think anybody's giving you an expiring form.
0: Yeah, I guess I just don't see the urgency for Houston to trade any of those guys. Yeah. Because, as I said before, they're both on long-term contracts as opposed to Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, who both expire soon, and there's no value to be gained from it right now. Whereas if you waited a little bit and you clear the decks out a little bit more, there's going to be playing time for both those guys. They're not washed. David Nwaba and Daniel Tice are both 29 years old, right? Now, I guess the question is, does Houston intend to clear the decks for those guys to get playing time?
1: Well, the other part of it is, you remember the Rockets collected the veterans or kept the veterans in the case of D.J. Augustine that they thought would be good to have around the young core. And that's still true. These are still guys that, yeah, we like having them in practice. We like having them. They like having D.J. Augustine in Kevin Porter Jr.'s ear every now and then. You know, and they love Eric Gordon's model of professionalism. He's so quiet. He's, he, he talked about how he's going to talk a lot more this year. And I even wrote in my story at the time, do you want to make PJ Tucker and, and uh, James Harden laugh? Eric Gordon's going to be talking up. He's going to be speaking out this year. And no, he, he's not a very loud guy, but they love his, the professionalism in that every day he's the same. His work ethic is the same. It never varies. His Defensive determination is so good and so reliable, and the way he defends is so textbook. He never does anything flashy, he doesn't get a lot of steals, you know, it's just solid, solid. Well, they feel like that's a really good influence. Now, I'm not saying that's why you keep him just for influence, but it is why, if they end up still with Nawaba Tyson Augustine, that Okay, the same reason they had him in the first place still exists. They still like having those guys around, the young guys. And in the case of Augustine, who's kind of sort of like an expiring contract, you know, I don't know if he wants to play elsewhere. You know, he's expressed that he likes living and working and playing where his family lives. And so, you know, I think he does want to finish his career here. I think he'd like to have next year as well. But in other words, I don't know that he's clamoring to get out. You know, it's the same thing with Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon is not what P.J. Tucker was last year. You know, just I want out. Get me out of here. It's not the I think he'd be okay with it, but I don't know that he's pushing for it either.
0: And at the same time, there's like a small moment every game that Gordon gets frustrated when these young players fuck up. Like I remember there was a play last night where Jalen Green had the ball, and Eric Gordon was like, "Come on, guys, do something, do something
1: but that's also Eric, I mean he did that with James Harden an awful lot too
0: yeah it's fair, he did he did he did. that is Eric Gordon, but at the same time, it would require an incredible amount of patience for a player of Eric Gordon's caliber to give up a year of his prime like this
1: and playing so well to where yeah, I think he, and you know he's not like he's not Gerald Green or something from Houston. Um, so I, you know, I think he'd be cool with it, but, um, well, you know, it is interesting though. He's from Indianapolis. The Rockets played in Indianapolis like two days before his birthday and he brought his family to Houston (laughs) for his birthday on Christmas, you know, rather than just, Hey, you're from here. Your parents live here. No, they all came here. So I think he does have some affinity for, for being here, but yeah, I have got to think if he got traded to a really good team, He'd find a way to make that work, especially with veterans who know how to play. One of which maybe plays point guard. I think he'd like that too. I just don't think he's pushing for it. He's not being a pain at all to
0: anybody. It is very difficult to picture Eric Gordon throwing up a big stink about wanting to get traded. Whereas last year with PJ Tucker, like that wasn't that surprising, right? And there was also issues before then with PJ Tucker and the organization, right? That that didn't just happen overnight. At the same time, it's just, I just can't mentally get to the place where like I can picture Houston just passing up on a first-rounder for Eric Gordon's quote-unquote professionalism. I just can't get there. I just can't.
1: No, no. I wouldn't say that either. No, that, no, no. That's just a consideration that makes you okay with it more. But no, you're not basing the trade on, you know, he, he's a role model. No, you don't build a team based only on role models. I mean there's but that I think it's more towards you want what you would consider fair value uh, and they would set a price, and I don't think they want to be ripped off on whatever price they think is fair value, but it's easier to feel okay about it afterwards if that's what happens based on yeah he's a good example and a good leader and good in his way leader, and so on it's not. the the logic behind whether you do a deal or not. Is there a
0: market for John Wall?
1: It's small. I was hearing there is some, I don't know the team. And so go ahead and do the conjecture. Some interest Eastern Conference team that has interest, that, that they don't have the third team that they would need to make such a thing work. And that's what it would take. Uh, the Mark Stein report is accurate. The Rockets would do it for unprotected pick in 27. Um, Rob Polink is not ready to give up on the Russell Westbrook experiment to start another experiment. And it would be John Walsh should fit better. He's more pliable than Russell Westbrook, who's, you know, a petrified forest when it comes to how pliable he is. Uh, but it's still a, it would be an experiment, and it would still be a process if you are to start that with John Wall. So, Pelinka doesn't want to do that yet. Uh, he's not he's not there to give up an unprotected pick when LeBron James is forty or whatever he'll be by twenty seven. So it, it is. And Stein wrote this too. He said the Rockets would do it, and it's extremely unlikely. Okay, there's a lot of things they do that are extremely unlikely, but it was accurate. You know, they do it and Russ would not really need to board a flight. Uh, You know, if that happened, they'd work it out, say, okay, what can you get as a free agent? What can you get as a free agent now or next summer? And try and do a buyout there unless they found a way to move him right away.
0: And there's a theoretical scenario where he may not have to take any flight. He can just move his stuff over to a different locker room. And play for the Clippers.
1: Well, yeah. you know, And that's the thing is, and I said this from the beginning about John Wall. If you and I say, okay, let's come up with the deal and the general managers don't get a say, we- we'll just do it. It's still hard to do. It's, and it's not because the money scares them off. We can't pay that much because you're still sending back 35 million. So, okay, you're paying 8 million more. If that's the difference of contending for a championship or not, do it, spend it. It's just making the math work, you know, to make a trade. It's just, it's very hard. Like you look at the Knicks, maybe the most disappointing team right now. And the guy they have in the role John Wall could be in is hurt. And let's say he, Derek Rose was out for the year and you and I said, okay, they want it. And they've asked us to do the trade. I don't know that we could, I don't think we could take the trade machine and come up with one and you can go all over the league and do that. John Wall lives in Miami. Try and come up with a trade to Miami that makes any sense at all, even if the GMs don't get to say anything about it. You can't do it. And pretty soon you're scratching off team after team after team. Unless you just do John Wall for Russell Westbrook and then move Russ back to Oklahoma City.
0: And to your credit, you told me earlier in the season that as the season goes along and there are injuries and there are needs, that there may be playoff teams that may be willing to take a gamble on John Wall. Now. Do tell. Now, I can't just give that away for free. You, don't, you know how this works, Jonathan. They have to read the article. <laughs> no, but just know there are more trades out there now to construct than there were a few months ago. Now, I ultimately still think he's not going to get moved, right? That contract still is what it is. It's a lot of money to match. And he hasn't played basketball in six months. What I think is ultimately going to happen is I think Rafael is going to have to cross his hard line of the sand that he drew at media day when I asked him about a buyout. I think they're going to have to buy him out.
1: I would think. I mean, that sure always seemed to be the most likely outcome. But then again, the question is, after the trade deadline or... In the summer, when that kind of deal is easier to make. Of course, I say that, but they didn't make it last summer. But sort of the Westbrook trade with the Lakers example of, yeah, you had to move four guys to do it, but you can fill in a roster in the summer. Well, that would be true again with John Wall, except that they couldn't get it done last year when he had just played 40 games, as opposed to this year when he hasn't played any.
0: I think most likely the move is February because... Like Eric Gordon, John Wall doesn't want to waste another year of his prime playing for a bad team, right? He wants to be in the playoffs. He hasn't played playoff basketball in a really long time. But also, you kind of have to weigh factors like, you know, player. a lot of players just don't like the idea of getting bought out because they know there's a stigma attached to it. Like once I'm a minimum player, I'm always going to be a minimum player, right? Whereas if he waits until the until the summer, there's a chance he gets a mid-level exception and then rebuilds his value, right? Like Kevin Love fought being bought out for the longest time right and it paid off for him he's going he looks much better and much more suitable for a better contract than he did before
1: yeah but the, the real reason what you said is true is he's john wall it, he would prefer the february 11th buyout to the february 12th buyout you know that he wants to play as soon as possible i mean this guy is a basketball junkie who has benched himself for the year and i mean he is you know, a guy who's all about basketball, he'll have an opinion about the best high school girl player in the state of Washington. I mean, just that's John Wall. or right now, I guarantee he doesn't just have, well, I can't guarantee, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has multiple games on, you know, he's not just watching the nets and warriors, you know, cause he's John Wall. You know, I, I always go back to a couple times, uh, Chris Paul called me once or twice, actually a couple times, and he doesn't say hello because he's Chris Paul. I've told this story before, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating it. First words are, "What game are you watching?" Well, that's John Wall. You know that he'd be that way too. You know, what game are you watching? You know, unfortunately, I was, I didn't, you know, have to say Game of Thrones or something. You know, I <laughs> was watching, <laughs> and, uh, but that's John Wall. Like you know, he's so yeah, he wants to buy out as soon as he can get it, you know, uh, well, no, I guess he doesn't want to buy it because he don't want to give stuff back, but he wants to play as soon as he can play is a better way to put it. He, he, he wants to be back on the court. What, what's bad is why doesn't he, he should have just always from the beginning said, however you want to use me, I just want to play. And, you know, he, he, in other words, I'm okay. I don't need to be the John Wall. I've always been, I'll be that again just play Kevin Porter, sit me down at the end of a game, whatever you need. And if he had done that, I think it would have been easier to trade him. Uh, Not because he would have shown what he can do or whatever. He'd show that willingness, which might appeal to another team that would need to use him in that sort of way.
0: Yeah, for example, if he had played all year, wouldn't it be very easy for Cleveland to be like, you know what, like, we don't have Colin Sexton or Ricky Rubio, so we're going to offer Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio's dead salary for John Wall. Like, that'd be an easier pillow to swallow.
1: Yeah, although Love is playing so well in another use-me-however-you-want-to-use-me role for a max player. But I get your point that that would be the kind of thing that, yeah, I mean, Darius Garland's the man. He runs that team. But, you know, we could use that second guy now that – and we always thought that's the thing that could create the possibility would be some injury where a good team needs him to help. So your example of Cleveland is perfect, except that the guy making the good money is playing so well and they love him and, you know, he's having such a good bounce-back year that I don't know that they would do it. But And they don't need to win big this year to where – Oh my gosh, Ricky Rubio's out. We got to get somebody, uh, or we have to get somebody who makes $43 million. And so, but I get your point that that's the kind of thing. You know, I always wondered if it doesn't apply anymore because Atlanta struggled for so long, but they had all these contracts and they had guys who, you know, could be interesting that weren't even playing, one of which got traded. If it didn't work with Lou Williams being a backup, you know, for whatever reason, which does not apply anymore. But would that have worked where, hey, they want to contend? A backup for their best player could be, and maybe play a little bit together with Trey Young. Maybe they'd be a team. Now the season's going a different direction. That's not relevant. But I, I was thinking the same way you are that just a limited role where you, you keep things running and maybe better than running. When you come off the bench overlap with the starter at your position, some finish some games, don't finish others and help a a team. That's a playoff team become a contending team. That seemed to be a pretty good role. The contracts don't work. They don't have them. And Derek Rose does come back. And so, yeah, I mean, that one would be perfect because First of all, he's, he plays with so much passion that, you know, theoretically, if they traded for him, Tibbs would actually play him. But they're so disappointing. That, but Rose does come back, and Rose brings you some of that too. But isn't that amazing, though? They gave up a first-round pick for Cam Reddish, and so he can watch a different team from the bench?
0: Yeah, Tom Thibodeau is who he is, and he's unapologetic about it, and he's not going to change. And I still think he's a really good coach, by the way. I've been seeing a lot of criticisms about him because of how the Knicks are performing. And I don't think that has anything to do with him. I think the Knicks are underperforming because more because of the players on that roster versus the head coach. They overachieved last year, and we're seeing a correction uh, to that now. Um, but yeah, I just don't think the Lakers would ever give up that 2027 pick for a Westbrook for a swap. I don't think it's worth it. That pick could be really good. Anthony Davis and LeBron James are no spring chickens right now. Anthony Davis is 28 with a history of injuries. LeBron James, 37. He's going to be 43 then. Anthony Davis is going to be 34, 32, something like that. He's going to be in his early 30s. So I would not be willing to do that kind of a swap. It's just hard to match contracts with all like you're always going to be giving up useful players like Kevin loves a useful player. It's really hard to do trades with him.
1: How good would Eric Gordon be with them With, with Tim Hardaway out?
0: Yeah. A bunch of different teams around the league could use Eric Gordon. Like he is so malleable as a basketball player and has a proven playoff track record. And that goes back to my position of like, I just don't see him on the Rockets past February 10th. I know they've taken this position about wanting a very specific package for him but I still think ultimately they're going to cave to get good value.
1: Well, I just think what I said before is that if you're willing to do first of all, you got to take something back. And you don't want just disaster contracts that have many years. That's the other problem. But like say you got a guy with four years and you don't even want him. I don't know that you would do that. But as far as the pick, a team that's playing for this year, Are they going to offer a first-round pick, but only if you take this year's? It just doesn't seem that likely, which might go to your argument that so they'll probably trade him.
0: I mean, I mentioned it last week. The Bulls could use Eric Gordon. Uh, The Cavs could use Eric Gordon. The Bucks could use Eric Gordon. The Nets, if they had assets, could use Eric Gordon. Um, Going over to Western Conference, the Suns could use Eric Gordon. The Grizzlies could use Eric Gordon the jazz if the stepion rule didn't have them in handcuffs and (laughs) the Jazz, by the way uh they can't trade their 2023 pick until the draft which is really miserable because they have joe ingles just sitting there on an expiring ready to be used for trades um but yeah, a bunch of teams could use air cord. Do you know, by
1: the way, we're 30 seconds away from setting the NBA record for the longest podcast involving trade talk without mentioning Ben Simmons?
0: Well, that is by design, my friend. I am very deliberately trying to avoid Ben Simmons talk. <laughs> the listeners of the show, by the way, have me on owls But do you want to touch that oven, Jonathan? Do you want to talk about Ben Simmons?
1: No, I, I don't remember if we have because I've done so many of these kinds of conversations. But yeah, I, first of all, I think it's very true that Daryl is happy to hold on to him. First of all, you know, they're not thrilled with Ben Simmons that he he made everything so difficult for them. So, you know what, we'll just sit you and find you a lot till next summer. So that, but beyond that, I think he's losing him as a a chip in a trade thing. Yes. If he could for a sign and trade with Harden, that would be good. But in general, he, there's there's a reason. I mean, Daryl has a history of asking for the moon and then coming back to reality when it's time to make the deal. And so everybody around the league thought that might happen. Well, in this case, I don't think that's what's happening. I think he really legitimately has a strategy that if he can't get what he wants now, he can hang on to it and try again in the summer.
0: Well, you say Daryl usually walks away from the table, Jonathan, but do you remember the season of 2016 where there was real smoke about them shopping Dwight Howard and their asking price was preposterous? It got leaked. And Daryl actually walked away. He didn't make the trade. And, and Dwight Howard walked away. Do you remember that?
1: That is such a good example. And I forgot about that. That's exactly what happened. That it got out. It was a Woes report uh, on the way to Toronto for the All-Star weekend after the Portland blow-up. And the Rockets are looking to trade Dwight Howard. Well, yeah, they were looking to trade if you're willing to pay a King's ransom for him that no one was willing to pay. Or even close, which has been you know, amply reported since, I believe. But th- what you said is exactly the way it was. Daryl asked for the moon, And you're like, yeah, you, you you can have him. We, we're a 500 team. You willing to give me all that for him? I can be 500 without him. And not to mention, the organization also wanted them to start playing Click Capella more. Wanted uh, J.B. Bickerstaff to play. And he he knew it'd be just tons of headaches and it would be a problem if he starts benching Dwight for the young guy and so on. But yeah, he was willing, but he was asking for a ton and that might inform what's happening now that, you know, he has sort of learned, look, I don't need to get forced. I get forced to do a bad trade here. You need to be forced to make a bad one again, at least not yet. Um, as far as, you know, Tie it back to the Rockets. I can't remember where you are on this, but I, you know, if it was for John Wall, a guy who's not playing at all, of course, you know, sure. Take a shot. See see if he can defend big men the way he defends on the perimeter. And then you have another ball handler. You you would probably have some shooting issues at least until Jay Sean Tate's three gets up to where. They hope it is anyway, but gosh, it would be worth a shot and plus you're a terrible defensive team and is a great defensive player.
0: So the ceiling price I threw out there that everybody got mad at me about was Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, and one premium draft pick for Ben Simmons. Oh my. Yep, that's how people reacted, and I guess my valuation of Ben Simmons is higher than others. I still think he's a star.
1: I do too, but I still think you make the deal if you, the Rockets aren't good enough to make a trade where you give up a ton. I think you do it if it's a distressed property and you're getting a, a bit of a deal and you're taking a chance. It might not work. It's hard to build around Ben Simmons, and some of the buildings already started here and might not fit. And to where I don't think you give up a fortune. Uh, in their situation.
0: I actually think Ben Simmons is a great fit next to Jalen Green and Alper and Shang-Goon, especially defensively. He makes up for so much of what they aren't.
1: Well, yes, I agree. Defensively, offensively, um, Porter and Şengün need the ball in their hands to be their best. So does Simmons. None of those guys are, you know, Kyle Korver, three point shooters, you know, Joe Harris working off of him And so I think that you need to be your best with Ben Simmons or Russell Westbrook. You need to surround them with shooters. And that's not what necessarily is here, which, okay, that doesn't preclude you from doing it. But I think it does preclude you from making that big an offer. Not to mention, they're not giving up one of their premium picks.
0: I'll just say this. It's much easier to find good shooters than it is to find a top 10 passer in the NBA, a top 10 defender, and someone with the IQ of Ben Simmons. And I actually don't think Daryl says yes to that offer. I think Daryl's holding out for a star player like Damian Lillard, James Harden, or Bradley Beal.
1: I think he would. If you said a premium pick, I think that would make it work. But And then the other part of it is, I don't know how Daryl feels about this. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. Rafael does know exactly how Daryl feels about all of his guys. They were Daryl's guys before they were Rafael's guys. Christian Wood, I think, would be really good next to Embiid because he wouldn't have to defend the, the monster guys. Embiid does that. You can just let him move away from the basket defensively. And he wouldn't have to – like, he, he can play a really good game and score 14 or 12. Uh, I think he would be really nice next to Embiid. And, of course, Eric would be Eric. And so – Yeah, I think that would be terrific for one of the two teams in that deal.
0: Yeah, I guess we just disagree here. Here's another thing about Daryl. He values star players as the highest commodities in basketball, and he views role players as interchangeable parts. And you saw his philosophy bore out in Houston all the time, like Chandler Parsons leaves for fifteen million dollars a year. We're gonna go get and get, go ahead and get Trevor Ariza for eight million dollars a year, right? Like role players come and go. If I am gonna trade a star player, I am gonna make it worth my while. And I see people flipping out about these quotes, and it's like, guys, if you didn't know this was Daryl's philosophy, then where the f- have you been for the last fifteen years? He's always used star players like this.
1: That's very true and he would say that with many numbers involved. You know, he that's very true that he feels that way.
0: So let's put Houston directly trading for Ben Simmons to the side for a second. We've exhausted that conversation. Let's talk about if Houston's at all getting involved in these multi-team trade scenarios that have been discussed. Like are they in the, these conversations? Are they on the phones seeing if they can squeeze in and capitalize on this because in my opinion this is a prime opportunity for a third party to help facilitate a trade and get a lot out of it because it may take more than one team it likely will take more than one team to get ben simmons moved
1: oh yeah i think that they've there's been so many months now that errol knows exactly what they would do and and uh you know i don't think that's a conversation you have to have every day because the, the, there's been so many months. He knows the Rockets' roster as well as anybody, almost. If he, he knows what he could get if he needed to move apart or needed to pick something up that another team wanted, um, so and I don't think anything's close enough to where he's doubling back. And just to finish your previous thought, the the trade that you were thinking of as the superstar for a pile of guys that showed it's not always good to get the pile of guys is elmore smith brian winters junior Bridgman, and dave myers
0: i'm 99 sir and this trade predates me greatest
1: player ever kareem abdul jabbar
0: well there you go what more do you need that these pile of stuff for star player trades <laughs> don't work out historically
1: although junior Bridgman is, is a super successful businessman he, he should be on shark tank now but uh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the one that people always for decades put... And I like the way he didn't even push back on greatest player ever.
0: Well, you can't deny he has a case. I mean, he's top three for me, for sure. I mean, he has six championships, uh, multiple MVPs. Six MVPs. I mean, his historical accomplishments are ridiculous. I mean, they banned dunking in college basketball for him, but we're getting off topic. we I don't want to talk about this, but... Well, Jonathan, I've spent way too much of your time today. I always appreciate when you and other guests come on and do my dumb podcast. Go ahead and tell the people where we we can read your work and follow you on social media.
1: Well, on Twitter, it's Jonathan underscore Fagan, and it's F-E-I-G-E-N. Pretty easy to find. And uh, always, of course, everything's in HoustonChronicle.com, HoustonChronicle, one word, dot com. And uh, everything there, there's a couple stories up today, and... uh, you can find Daniel Lerner's is a very fun piece to read about the new PA guy uh, in Toyota Center. He's got a really good story. It's an uplifting story. And so you can see that. That's
0: a really cool dude, by the way. And he's good at what he does, too. And he's got some stories being the Spurs PA guy for so long. Got a chance to witness some real NBA history over the past decade, for sure.
1: Yeah, he's a good story. And I like the way he does the job. And I don't like a lot of the current style of PA guys. And he does it well. You know, Matt Thomas Scott was good, too, a little different, but uh, you know, not intrusive, but still super enthusiastic for the home team. Uh, that's a hard thing to uh, to make work, and, and he does.
0: And I don't want to give too much away. I'll just say this. There is a reason he was in Houston when the Rockets hired him. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Go read the story by Daniel Lerner at The Chronicle, and go read everything The Chronicle puts out, obviously.
1: Yeah, HoustonChronicle.com. We have fresh stuff every day, and not also our podcast every Tuesday.
0: Go subscribe to that podcast. Go follow Jonathan on Twitter. And yeah, Jonathan, I really enjoyed having you on. I'll talk to you down the road.
1: Good talking with you.